Hey, howdy, hey, welcome back to another episode of Avila Theory. We're starting a new series on real estate. We have some uh, some fun stories and experiences to tell you and some fun information to share about things we have learned embarking on uh, a few different real estate transactions. And so that's what we're talking about today. I am CJ Avila and I'm joined by my very special wife, Nicole. Special? Yes. <laughs> I'm Nicole Avila, in case you were wondering. Yeah. And Nicole is actually... she. Uh, passed her real estate licensing exam. Was that a year ago? Mm, right about a year ago? Maybe two years ago. Two years ago? Yeah. Okay. Time has really gone by. So we geek out about real estate pretty hard. Um, We've been a part of a surprising amount of transactions for our age, I feel like. Yeah. So we have uh, we have owned a condo. We have owned a you know long-term investment rental properties. We have owned now short-term investment properties. We have... Uh, primary residence. Um, and even after buying, we have also rented. And so we wanted to start the series out talking about um, all the benefits to renting. Okay. okay. So just start with just like, why would like, what are all of the reasons why renting is actually way better than buying any sort of real estate? Um, okay. Yeah. So um, so tell me. Yeah, the the first that come to mind, like the first yeah. couple of reasons that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, one big one is mobility. So if you are uh, in a job where if you get promoted, you might have to move to a different city, or if you are you know um, young and you're not really sure where you want to settle down, or if you don't have roots somewhere, buying a house is a little bit more difficult to make. Um, to make that move because it's possible that after you buy the market goes down a little bit. And so you don't want to have to short sell or, um, sell your house for a little less than what you bought it for. So that prevents you from moving. Also, when you're renting, there is like these definite terms. So at, you know, for a fact, like at the end of the six months, um, maybe I'm going month to month with my landlord and I can leave, mm-hmm. uh, that, flexibility in your location can be really, really beneficial. Mm -hmm. Um, other like huge benefits to renting is if your toilet breaks or if there is, you know, if your kitchen floods, that's what I miss. Right. Like call somebody. Yeah. You just call the landlord and they have to like send someone out to fix it. You know, Mm -hmm. the heater goes off or something. Um, when you are the homeowner, that's all up to you and And you are expensive. It is very expensive. There are a lot of costs that you don't, um, that you don't see when you're looking at like the price of a house, right? When you see Mm -hmm. the sticker value or the sticker price of 100 K there is the mortgage that you're going to have to, or if you don't have the cash, if you don't have like hundred K cash to just buy the whole thing, then what you might do is borrow money from the bank to buy the house and borrowing the money costs. It costs, um, you know, a lot of money and interest to borrow a huge chunk like that. Uh, but on top of the mortgage, there is insurance. You have home insurance. You have, uh, you also have like all the maintenance. You have to pay all the utilities that are sometimes wrapped up in rent. So if you have, if you're renting, then maybe the sewer is included, or the water is included, or maybe electric, or sometimes the power. Like very, it's very common in Reno um, or in Northern Nevada for you know many of these utilities to be uh, 
uh, not included in the rent price and you still have to pay for the utilities. But if you're in a situation where your rent includes all the utilities, sometimes maybe it'll be even include internet, right? Yeah. Like, um, when you own the home, none of those things are included. Another big one is homeowners, uh, association fees. Yeah. I was thinking that. Yeah. So, uh, this is more common if you live in like a condo or in, um, you know, like more established neighborhoods, Mm-hmm. Um, like gated communities, or if you live in high rise, or if you live in, you know, some sort of apartment or something, there are often homeowner association fees that pay for things like repaving the blacktop and repainting all the buildings and keeping the pool up, uh, you know, up to snuff and um, snow removal. Yep, snow removal mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes like lawn care. Yep. Um, can you think of any other? Oh gosh, Christopher! Now I'm wondering why. Why are do we, we own a house? <laughs> it sounds awful. I know. There's so many benefits to renting. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think you did a great job. Another huge benefit to renting is it makes it possible for you to live, you know, to, to put a roof over your head when you might not have the cash to buy a house. Right? Like, not everyone is in the financial situation where they can uh, afford a down payment and afford. Um, you know, the mortgage. So there are a lot of expenses that go into owning a house. And so we wanted to just say like upfront mm-hmm. that renting is a totally good option. Um, yes. It's a great option. Mm-hmm. And many financial, I don't know, personal finance people right now are uh, pushing renting versus buying. Um, because, Interesting. Yeah, because it is so expensive. Yeah. Um, but in our experience, owning real estate has been like the single biggest driver to increasing our net worth. I actually, I want to ask you because you're the one that started this whole, we need to buy houses to invest. And it was when we were dating. So yeah. we were like <laughs> 19. Yeah. And you wanted to buy, you were like, I don't want to pay somebody else. I want to own my own place. Do yeah. you know what started that? I don't, I don't know for sure, but I knew I I saw the success that my folks had mm-hmm. with real estate, yeah. And uh, I felt like if I was paying somebody uh, monthly rent and none of that was going towards building any value for myself, then I was kind of like losing out on some cash or something. Yeah. And I, and I but I totally totally granted that when I was nineteen, I was not aware. Right. I was not fully aware of all the expenses and yes. process, but so we've definitely driven that point. Home. Yeah, one other like huge um, unfair advantage that I think that I had was that my dad taught me a ton about taking care of a house and like True. doing maintenance myself. So we've been able to do a lot of things mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. So why why should I buy a house here? So in uh, yeah, in my experience, it has been the most, the, the, the biggest driver in increasing our net worth. Ah, yeah. So it's a good investment. Yeah. I think the, your primary home is less of an investment per se, but it is also a way to sort of like build, um, build equity in a, in a, yeah. in an asset. Yeah. So it might not be the same. It, in fact, it might not grow as fast as if you were to just invest in the stock market or something, but, um, it's real. It's something. And, uh, 
You don't have to worry about anybody kicking you out. Yeah, exactly. You're you not going to kick out. I, I worry about that. You know, someday we may be renting again, and I I worry like, oh, we're going to get settled into a place, and the kids are going to be in school, and then maybe the owner decides they want to sell. Yep. And then you're out of a place, got to find somewhere else to go. So yeah, yeah. you have a little bit more control if you are the owner. Mm-hmm. Any other great reasons we should <laughs> recommend buying a house? Um. So. <sighs> There's like this American dream, right? Where you buy a house and then you gain some equity in the house and then you sell it and you move into a bigger house. And then, you know, so maybe you bought, you buy like a really tiny little studio and you're single and then you get married and you buy like a two bedroom and then you have a baby and then you need a little bit more space and you buy a bigger house and you buy a bigger house. And then when the kids are all grown and gone, then you're sitting on a five bedroom house that you have, you know, tons of equity in and you can sell that and you can kind of like live off the value that yeah. is sort of interesting yeah. like it's like part of part of the american dream so yeah. the, that's really attractive to me so so what we want to focus on in this episode yeah is um just talking about what that process looks like buying a house if you've never done it before you're going to be a first time home buyer uh we just want to share some things to think about you know trying to think about whether or not you're ready to buy a house and how to get the process started yeah um, so, so should, so we talked about, should you buy, um, I think that we should share the story about the first time we bought a house. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this was, we were, this was before we were married. Um, so actually Christopher was buying the house, but I was there for support. Yes. And, um, like we said before, he, he had that frame of mind where he was like, I'm not paying somebody else rent. I want to buy my own. So we were living in these condos and they happened to be building new ones. Mm -hmm. So we just walked over and I don't know, placed an offer or something. (laughs) We're just like, basically, yeah, there is usually if, if there's some sort of new construction going on, which is really common in. Uh, in Nevada, it's, or at least it's been really common in the last like 10 years, there's always been kind of like these new developments going up with mm-hmm. condos or track homes or whatever. Okay. Side note, if you all, if you are already a little bit further in this process and you have an agent, please do not walk into a new development without your agent yeah. because they will not let you use that agent anymore. Yeah. Once it, you've stepped onto their property, you are theirs. There's so many weird rules about going into the builder's office, but, but we did not have you, an agent. So we, we walked didn't right have in. an agent. We walked into the builder's office and then the agent that's sitting at the desk at the builder's office becomes your new agent. Yep. They're your new homie. Mm-hmm. And so we, we went over there and we're just like, yeah, can you show us some of these, some of these houses? And so we looked around and found one that we loved and we picked it, we, went through the process. Yeah. Like an hour later, we just like and what year yeah, was sign the papers. Do you remember? It's like two thousand nine, two thousand eight. I think maybe? it was. It was like right before the market was crashing, yeah. or like right when the market was like in free fall. The yeah. housing market was in free fall in two thousand eight, yes. and so there there were all these houses that probably would have sold previously for like 300,000 mm-hmm. in, in Reno. And they were all going for 180, 170, 160, and just like kept going down and down and down. Mm-hmm. And so we found an awesome, was that a three bedroom? It was a three bedroom. It was like bedroom. a three bedroom, two bath, two story. It was technically a condo. I think it yeah, shared one it wall. Did with, share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's like a townhouse or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was super next to the university. Yep. We were still in school then. So it was we were perfect. still going to college. We loved it. Yeah. 
And so we went through the entire process. We almost the entire almost process. the entire process. <laughs> so we signed. We signed all of the paperwork. We had uh, it was you know it's a when you buy a new house when you buy like a new build, there are no appliances or anything. So we had uh, we went to Home Depot and we bought refrigerator, washer, dryer. And we had appliances. We like, had a closing date, yep. so we asked for them to be delivered after that closing date. Yep. And then what happened? Yeah. So we had we I forget the exact timeline, but we had some we had a closing date, and so what we. Uh, what we arranged was to move out of our rented apartment mm-hmm. and into this new house like a week after the closing date or something. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that, the, it, it, in fact, to move out of our apartment, we had to find another renter to move That's in right, to take we over our, our lease. Yeah, we were breaking our lease. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, we had to, find, we had to do the legwork to find a renter to replace us. Mm-hmm. And so we had found a renter to replace us. They were also going to move in like a week after that. Or something, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, we had the closing date. It came and went, and we were like, "Hey, can we?" We we negotiated with the builder, who was like the previous owner, basically, and we said, "Can we have our appliances delivered to the house because we don't want them to be delivered here and then have to figure out how to get them over there?" Mm-hmm. And so we had the appliances delivered, mm-hmm. and then the closing date came and went, and the the packet didn't actually close. Right, and so what happened was. Uh, they weren't telling us anything at first. Yeah. The builder wasn't telling us anything. And Mm -hmm. it it was kind of crazy because what happened was there was some sort of litigation where the, uh, one of the subcontractors for the builder, um, or no, no, no. Okay. This is, this is what happened. This is what happened. As the market was crashing in 2008, there were some banks that went belly up. Mm -hmm. And when the banks went belly up, they like all of their, uh, accounts, whatever got, transferred to bigger banks or like Mm -hmm. bought by bigger banks. And so what happened was the, the builder was using one of the banks that went under. And so when their account got transferred to the new bank, Mm -hmm. all of the subcontractors had an opportunity to renegotiate their contracts. Mm -hmm. And before the market crashed, the way the contracts worked was that the builder would write a contract for an entire like cul-de-sac or something like many, many units and let's say it was like the the framer and he was going to pay the framer $200,000. Well, the way that he would do it before is he would pay them 200 or he would pay them for each unit that they completed mm-hmm. in like bits. Yeah. Um, and now the framer wanted all the money up front and the builder didn't have the cash anymore. And so there, there ended up being like this crazy lean on like the entire development mm-hmm. and they, they ended up not being able to close with us because there was this lean on the property. But, before that happened, we moved into the house. I don't know who let us do this because it was not a good idea on their side. It was, yeah. But on they the, gave us the keys to the place and we yeah. completely moved in, even though we did not own the place. We didn't own it yet. <laughs> but they were like, it's totally going to close. It's going to close in a week. It's going to close in a few days. We just haven't mm-hmm. heard back from so-and-so. It's going to close like... We know it's going to close. And we were like, our apart- we don't have an apartment anymore. We already like rented it out. Someone else is moving in there. We have, like, we have no place to go. Can we just move in? And they were like... So we moved in. Yeah, And then sure. they finally told us, oh, just kidding. We cannot sell you this house yeah. because there is this lien on it. You must move out. And 
you, find. Yeah, they were like, I guess they didn't say move out. They said you just have to buy something else. You have to find something else. You can't. And yeah, like you cannot buy this. We were we were engaged at that point, and we were prepping for a wedding, and yeah. so it was just all very stressful. And somehow the builder right gave us permission. Yeah, the builder was like, "I'm so sorry, you can live here." Yeah, you can live until here until you find, find another, another house. house, which ended up being like seven six months or seven months. Yeah, we lived there rent free with yeah. all of our stuff while we tried to find another house and we eventually did find another house, yeah. but how crazy I know, and like how insane. fortunate as well, because we saved so much money Yeah, not having to pay anything. And also that I felt so bad for the real estate agents because we looked, we yeah. probably looked at right. like we well said, over a like, hundred places after that. was gone. So <laughs> all oh, of the houses man. around Reno, they were all short sales. Was, Everywhere we looked, yeah. short sale, short sale. and Foreclosures. And- oh my gosh. We did look at every single house in Reno. But anyway, it ended up working out. The house we ended up buying was amazing. And yeah. we loved it. And The moral of the story here is do not move, in, move in to a house until, <laughs> until you own it. You own it for sure. Like until the packet is closed 100%. You have your closing packet in hand and your key. Not just that you have the key and <laughs> the old owner said you can move in, but like actually have yeah. be closed. Um, instead of like looking back, we probably should have like stayed in a hotel or found like somewhere else to live temporarily until we knew that it closed. Why? Actually, I don't know. No, I mean, we, we had we, to pay for. We all did of end that. up getting. Yeah, I don't know. It, it worked out. It, it totally work worked out. out. It was just a, a fluke. Another but. thing that we learned in that process, after we looked for like hundreds of houses after that, mm-hmm. was to manage our expectations because I think after that fell through, that was like a really, really awesome, beautiful house, beautiful three bedroom, um, new build. And so after that, our expectations were really, really high. They were like, Oh, now we, now that this didn't work out, we're going to go higher forever. home. We we need need, to find the house. We're going to raise our children. Exactly. No, no, that's not how this started. Yeah. You do not like the first home that you buy is never going to be your forever home. I can't tell you how many times I have heard that. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, we're just moving into the area. We want to find the house that we're going to live in forever. I mean, I know. It doesn't work like no, that. It, it doesn't. doesn't. I mean, your, your family probably grows and changes and you have no idea what's going to happen in the next five years even. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's fine to find something that fits for right now. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, crazy story, but with that and our future purchases, we've kind of learned a lot about yeah. buying a house. Yeah. So, um, I want to ask you, Christopher. Okay. Um, is now a good time to buy? That's a that's a good question. <laughs> like, the market is kind of crazy. It definitely the prices are really high right now. Really high. Really high. For I mean, two years ago, the um, median price. Yeah, the median home price in yeah. Reno. In Reno was three hundred thousand. Now, yeah. what is it? Now it's three seventy two or something. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that is a significant hike. Mm -hmm. So the, the prices are high. That said, interest rates are super low. Interest rates are super, super low. Um, so that's, uh, that is an attractive thing. Um, I think that's one of the things that scares me and maybe it's just where we're living. Um, because a lot of companies are starting to invest in Northern Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is causing our area to grow really fast. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I kind of feel like maybe, maybe the market is not that unstable and it's just our little area, but the price is being driven up 
so high so fast yeah. that I'm worried that it's going to crash. It's pretty volatile. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing to think about when you're looking at timing, like there's no, there's really no way to time the market, right? Like it's the same thing as like trying to time a, a stock market or something, but right. there's definitely seasons um, where prices fluctuate. So mm-hmm. the seasons that we have uh, observed here in Northern Nevada and in uh, Lake Tahoe are that prices generally start to swell in the spring and peak late spring, early summer. Mm-hmm. They kind of flatline throughout the summer. And then at the end of summer, they start to kind of like, um, you know, dip a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then around like Christmas day is like the prices are generally like the lowest, right? It's yeah, snowy. Exactly. There's like the builders are not building. People don't want to move in the middle of a school year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're waiting for that peak season. So that's definitely, I mean, it, it's tough if you're a buyer Um, you would think, okay, well, I'll buy in the off season. However, people might not be listing their houses in the off season. They might be waiting until the summertime. So you just, I don't know, you gotta just keep your eye on it, I guess, and be open and willing to buy whenever you find the one that's right for you. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about interest rates too, because, uh, the, when you, when you look at the interest rate and you see, oh, a uh, 5% interest rate or a 4% interest rate on your, um, uh, on the mortgage, those seem like really small numbers. Like, oh, right. 4%, that's so small. 3%, 5%, those yeah. are all like really, really, really small. a big difference between 3.25 and 4.75. Exactly. Yeah. And so... Uh, there's a number of different things that factor into the the interest rate that you're able to get from the lender. Um, one of the big ones is your credit score. So if you have a higher credit score, you can get a lower interest rate, and that's because the bank trusts you more, basically, if you have a higher credit score. Um, but if you look at the real numbers, so if you take a $300,000 mortgage uh, and you let's say you get, you're going to get a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, that means that the interest rate that you get in the very beginning is the same uh, for all 30 years. This is the most like common, I would say, mm-hmm. way to do it now. Mm-hmm. There's also like a, a like variable rate or adjustable rate mortgages, mm-hmm. which are different in that you start with one rate and then it can change to a different rate. And the bank just like tells you like, oh, after five years, now the rate is 12% or something. Yeah. So a lot of people end up going with the 30-year fixed if you start a $300,000 mortgage with a 30-year fixed at uh, 4%, then the total interest that you'll pay over the entire life of the loan, if you just like keep making your normal monthly payments, is $215,000 total in just interest. That's the money that you're paying to the bank to borrow money. Um, that's a lot of money. That's a ton of money based <laughs> on, but that's based on 4%. Okay. Now, if we look at 5%, which is just one, you know, one little percent more, right? you're looking at $280,000. Yeah. So 280, yeah, $280,000, 65K more yeah. over the life of the loan, just for that 1% interest. You could buy a car with that. Yeah, exactly. And what's crazy is that, um, yeah, so that's. Whatever. That's interest so rates. Interest in rates are low experience. right now, so mm-hmm. that might be something a reason why it's a good time to buy. Okay. Um So how do I know if I'm ready to buy a house? What should I be Yeah prepared good. for? Um so a couple things. Okay. One, you want to look at your credit score. 
if you don't know what your credit score is, there's a bunch of different free ways to find your credit score, and we'll link uh, we'll link to some of those in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that we use is Mint. If you set up Mint, you can mm-hmm. get a monthly uh, refresh on your credit score, which is really handy. And your credit score is essentially a metric that is used to measure your credit worthiness. That's like how likely you are to pay back um, the money that you borrow. And there is a bunch of different factors that go into your credit score. Um, and I had them. The one that I think is most interesting that I think sometimes you forget because you're younger and you're, you're like, oh, I have great credit. Uh, I haven't done anything. But actually the amount of time that you've had credit, as in a credit card or some sort of loan, is factored into your credit score. So I remember poor CJ had what was considered a lower credit score only because he had not opened up a credit card when he was younger, and so he didn't have as many years as I did. Mm -hmm. So that is something to think about, I mean, when you're 18, just opening up something. Yeah. So that you can start establishing your good credit. Exactly. So here, here are a couple of things that go into it. So there's, there are, uh, if you go, if you log into mint, which I just did, I'm sure you heard me, uh, (laughs) typing there. Um, the, the factors that go into your credit score is your on-time payments. What percentage of your payments on debt are on time? So you, you have, um, your monthly credit card payment. You also have like phone bills and car loans and mortgage payments. And, um, there are a bunch of different, uh, ways that you can be lent money or be expected to pay. And, uh, these organizations have a way to report your, uh, your ability to pay on time or that you have paid on time, uh, back to the credit bureaus who track this. And so the, one of the highest impact, metrics that goes into your credit score is like how many of your on-time payments, what percentage of your payments have been on time. So are you 30 days late, 60 days late, 90 days late? You want 100% of your payments to be on time. You never want to be late on any payments ever. Never, ever, ever be late on a credit card payment or loan payment or mortgage payment or whatever. Uh, That really impacts your credit score. Another one is credit usage. So how much of your uh, credit are you utilizing? So let's, if you have a $10,000 limit on your credit card, Mm -hmm. if you, uh, just went out and bought a TV and it was $10,000, maybe you got one of those 8k, you know, (laughs) super nice 8k TVs. Um, and you use all 10,000, then you have used 100% of your credit, right. And you have maxed out your credit card. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is really bad because it shows that you are, you're relying on all the debt that you already have access to. And so you want this number to be under 10%. So if your credit card is a $10,000 limit, you mm-hmm. want to spend or like go up to like a max of like $1,000 and always pay off every single month. This is and like this in is, an ideal world. This is looked at after you've made your payment for the month. Um, it's looked at when the credit is pulled. Okay. Yeah. So like if I... If I pay off my credit cards every month, yeah. Um, so there's never a balance, but throughout their month there might be a balance. Yeah. Like if they happen to pull my credit 
when I, the day after I bought that $10,000 TV, even though I was going to pay it off yeah. at the end of the month, that will look poorly. This is wading into territory where I'm not a hundred percent sure, okay. but I'm pretty confident that it, it is like okay. based on that day. Okay. Like how much. Yeah. yeah. So, um, one interesting tactic that you can take here is that if you have existing credit cards and you're really good about paying them on time and you, uh, you can uh, call your credit card company and, and request a credit increase, credit limit increase, because mm-hmm. if you move from having $10,000 limit to having a $20,000 limit, then you can spend a little bit more mm-hmm. each month to, to uh, reach that 10% threshold or whatever and be fine. So, you know, it's possible through a number of different cards to get easily $100,000. Yeah. And I would also say be careful. Yeah. No, no, no. This is definitely, if you are not good with credit, if you are maxing out your credit cards. If it's easy for you to say, oh, I have a little extra on my credit card. Let me just go ahead and spend a little bit more than, don't do this. Don't do this. Do not do that. Uh, the next big one is the age of your credit. And you were talking about this a little bit before, but mm-hmm. you want the average age of your credit, of each of your credit cards or credit lines to be six years or older. So if you opened a card five years ago and you opened a card one year ago, then the average age of those two cards is three years old, mm-hmm. right? And so if you ha- even if you open, even if you have like two cards that are 10 years old, yep. if you just opened up an RC Willie and a Home Depot and a Best yeah. Buy. So and definitely a, keep that in mind. And Taylor Loft. And when, you're, <laughs> when you're opening up something new, like how much is this going to impact what I've already tried to establish? Yep. And another one is the credit inquiries and derogatory marks. So if you get sent to collections, then something gets, there's a, like a blemish that is added to your credit history. Um, that's not good. You don't want that. So you want zero derogatory, uh, marks and, uh, credit inquiries can be bad, but this is, this is kind of a gray area. Your credit inquiries, there's like soft and hard inquiries, um, Basically, every time you apply for credit or you apply for a car loan or a mortgage or whatever, then they pull your credit and that counts as an inquiry. Um, So these can actually uh, benefit you if you are looking for a home. Um, One of the reasons is that that we're going to get into later is that when you are looking at a lender, at picking a lender, the lender is going to pull your credit. And so if if you have recently had your credit pulled by a different lender, then um, that will reflect that you are kind of shopping around for lenders. So, okay. Um, So first things first, I'm thinking about buying a house. Let's work on my credit score. Yep. Work on your credit score. Definitely. And then what else? The next thing is you want to make sure you have enough money saved for a down payment. Okay. The down payment is interesting because... Um, there is going to be a minimum down payment depending on the type of loan you get. So, um, we'll talk about these again later, but you can have like a VA loan or FHA loan or conventional, or it could be for a second home or for an investment property. Like all these different types of loans that you get are going to have different minimum requirements for how much money you have to put down. Mm -hmm. So for the like smallest percent down type of loans, Mm -hmm. if you don't put down more than 20%, then you have to pay this thing that's called PMI. Mm-hmm. It's like the property mortgage insurance mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And the PMI is this like monthly fee that you're paying into ensure that the mortgage is going to get paid. It's like, um, yeah, it is 
annoying because it's essentially just like extra money that you have to pay to insure. And I think it's important to remember like the more money you put down, the less your monthly mortgage is going to be. So ideally you don't want to take a loan if you could. Yeah. If you can pay cash, that'd (laughs) be great. I mean, so, I mean, that's just something to factor into whether or not you should continue to rent. Like, could you keep stashing away money so that you can put down more for your house because that will just save you money in the long run. Like yeah. You won't have as much interest and um, yeah, your monthly payment will be less. So that's what we would highly suggest. Yeah, we would However, recommend that doesn't always happen. Yeah. So the ideal, the ideal scenario is that you have at least 20% to put down. Which is a lot. If that's you're buying a, a house for $300,000. 60K. That's it's, a lot of money. a lot of money to mm-hmm. save up. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's PMI. That's the down payment. Um, it's, it's always a lot, but, uh, this kind of goes into the next topic here around how much house you can afford versus how much you need. Yeah. So Um, you've decided like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and start looking around. Maybe you're poking around online mm -hmm. or you see the house in a neighborhood that you've loved is for sale. How do you then decide like, okay, well, how big of a house do I need and how much can I afford? Right. So if you, uh, this is when you can start talking to a lender and the, uh, one of the roles of the lender is to look at all of your current finances. So they're going to look at how much money you make, how much money you spend, how much cash you have, how many investments you have, you know, is your car paid off? Do you have a, a car payment? They're gonna look. They're gonna want to see your W twos, your pay stubs. Try to like uh, see how consistent your monthly income is, mm-hmm. and so um, you're gonna talk to a lender who's a person that's specialized at looking at all of your finances, and they're gonna tell you this is how much money you can afford, which is always more than you should ever spend. That's true. <laughs> they're gonna tell you. <laughs> Like, uh, you can, afford. let's say they're, they're going to tell you, you can afford up to 420,000. Yeah. You do not want to buy a house for 420,000 because no. that is going to be a stretch. That yeah. is too much money. Your monthly payments are going to be high. It's even, even, okay. So the, the, one of the rules that they try to shoot for is having it be one third of your monthly income, right? It's like yeah. roughly that's what yeah. it is. It's yeah. a third of your monthly income. Mm-hmm. So if you take your monthly income, um, let's say you make, to make it easy, $9,000 a month, mm-hmm. then you can afford up to $3,000 a month in mortgage, principal, insurance, taxes, P, like uh, uh, HOA fees and all that. They will figure all of that out and say, okay, you can, you can afford up to $3,000 for this, but that's so much more mm-hmm. than you should ever spend. It's insane because I think it's really it's they're trying to help you be more conservative and more responsible with making the decision. But th- uh, I would say that a third is probably way too much. I would say maybe shoot for a quarter. Okay. Like in my experience. Yeah. Uh, other things that you can think about when talking to a lender is that like the uh, a big chunk of the upfront cost of buying a house is in the closing costs. Bless you. Yeah, excuse me. Um, And the closing costs are generally negotiable Hmm. with the lender and with the... Another thing to keep in mind, I would ask around people who who have 
recently purchased homes or if you have an agent already, get their recommendations, you can totally shop around for a lender. Yeah. Yep. Which I feel like I'm not allowed to say because I am the daughter of a lender, but <laughs> <laughs> I've heard him say it before. Yeah. You can totally, you got to find what works best for you. Totally. Um, yeah. So there are, if you were, if you are a veteran, you have access to something called a VA loan, which is uh, a special like type of loan um, that automatically removes PMI and you have to put like less down. Um, so definitely go check out a VA loan. If you are a veteran, that's going to be better than any of the other options in my opinion. There's also FHA and conventional. I don't actually know all the details of the differences of these, but these are the kinds of things that you want to talk to your lender about and ask for recommendations and information and do your research um, about the different types of loans. Yeah, and your lender should be able to explain all of that to you. That's why you want to be able to find someone that you're comfortable talking to and you feel like is giving you the time of day that you need for all of your questions. Yeah. And so the, after you've talked to the lender, they're going to, they're going to generally say like, okay, this is how much you can afford, like four, let's say 420 K. And then what you, uh, the next step that you're going to take is you're going to meet with your, uh, or like try to find a real estate agent. Yes. And now you probably know a real estate agent or two or seven. There are many, many, (laughs) many, many real estate agents. If you're in Northern Nevada, in the Northern Nevada area, and you want to get connected with a real estate agent, let us know. We have lots of friends. Mm -hmm. This is another person that you can sort of shop around. Yes. The agent, when, when an agent engages with you, they are going to have you sign a document that says, um, if you, uh, buy a house in the next, uh, X number of days, then you agree to use that agent for the sale. Mm-hmm. And they're going to try to do this in the, in the first conversation that you have with them. Mm, depends on the agent. Depends on the agent. Totally mm-hmm. depends on the agent. But, uh, in generally like, the best practice on the agent side right. is to make sure that like they, the work that they're doing is driving around and meeting you and showing different properties to you and setting up appointments and, right. um, advocating for you, understanding all the different laws and rules so that you don't have to know all those things. They also have access to the MLS or the multiple listing service, which is like a website they can look on that has, um, the statuses of different homes. And so because they are doing this work for you, they don't actually get paid until, uh, the house closes. Mm -hmm. So if you were to just go and use one agent to talk about one house and another agent to talk about another house, then, um, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to put in that work unless they kind of have some sort of contractual agreement that you're going to, uh, go through the whole process with them. Um, so before you sign that document, it's, uh, it's totally cool. I would say to meet with a couple, meet with a couple agents and see which one you groove with the most and see which one feels like they get you mm-hmm. and that they understand kind of what you're looking for and that they're going to find. Yeah, you can meet them at their office. You can go for coffee, yeah, whatever. Starbucks or whatever. Yeah. yeah it's totally cool. Totally fine. When I work from Starbucks, I see people meeting, meeting mm-hmm. agents like all the time. Yeah. Um, which is good. So once you've established that relationship and you've signed that piece of paper, they are going to be the ones who are able to, um, answer all of your questions. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Um, and they will be there to show you all the different things that are available right now. Yeah. Um, one thing that you can do is look on Zillow or look on Redfin or Trulia or any of these real estate sites and kind of get a rough idea of what the market is like and a really, really rough idea of what's, what's out there. These sites are often 
well behind. Like they they are not synced completely up with the up to date uh, status of a certain transaction. So if you look on Zillow and you see that a house is for sale, it's not necessarily still for sale. It could be pending contract already, or it could already be, um, you know, recently closed and they just haven't updated Zillow. So, uh, Zillow and Redfin and all these free online consumer resources are great. They're actually like lead generators for Mm -hmm. real estate agents. So when you go on there, you'll, that's one way that you can connect with real estate agents. Um, but what I would say is that, uh, you want to try to create some parameters for your, for the house that you're looking for. So how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what are your, um, non-negotiables? Like, do you have to have a, a game room and you have to have a basement and you have to have you know, a garage and whatever you give those constraints to the real estate agent and they can plug that into the, uh, multiple listing service mm-hmm. and set you up for automated emails. So you get an email every single day or week or whatever with whatever you want. the list of you houses. You could do it immediately yeah. as soon as something's posted within exactly. your parameters. Um, and, and be willing to listen to the feedback of the agent because perhaps you have like 10 non-negotiables, but you have a budget that does not allow for all 10 of those. Right. Um, be willing to maybe take some of those off or understand that um, it might just not be possible. Yeah. Or maybe it's not possible in the the area that you're looking in. So maybe you need a different area. Maybe you just need to wait a little bit longer yep. um, until you can put down more of a down payment so that you can buy something that's a little bit more. There are a lot of different different ways to get you into the house that you want to be in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some, sometimes we all just get focused in on having that perfect first house. It's got all the things that we need, but yeah. That might not happen. No. I think um, real estate is super fun. It is. Like, just the, I don't know, it's it's kind of like Monopoly a little bit. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like looking around. Nobody and, ever plays Monopoly with CJ anymore because he wins. <laughs> Actually, no, that's not true. Logan can Logan beat you. Logan <laughs> won last time. Our, last was he two four times. at that point? I think yeah. he was like four years old and he beat us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we really, really like this. I, another thing came to mind in terms of a down payment, um, Mm -hmm. and that is there are certain retirement accounts Mm -hmm. that have special exceptions if you're using it for purchasing a primary residence. Um, so if you have, I, you'll have to look up all the details, um, and do the research yourself. Obviously we're not like financial advisors, but I know that there are retirement accounts. I want to say like you could take your 401k or your IRA, and do a one-time withdrawal to use as a down payment on a house. Um, there's a bunch of other like really advanced things that we have done. So we have experienced a couple, a couple of different things that we've experienced. One is a 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 1031 exchange is when you are selling one property and buying another one, and you're you want to move the money from the property that you sold into the property that you're buying so that you can decrease your tax liability. Mm-hmm. So if you have an investment property and you're going to sell it and make a hundred K you're going to get taxed on that hundred K as if it was income. Um, or maybe it's like you get taxed as if it's like a capital gains tax or something. But if you, if you take the money and you put it directly into another house with this thing, that's called a 1031 exchange, it's like a special kind of account that you work through, then you, uh, remove a lot of that tax liability. So that's something that we've done in the past. That's really interesting. Another interesting thing that you can do if you're feeling, really, really confident is, um, you can do a deal without a real estate agent 
I would say if it's your first home, if this is your first purchase, work with a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. They're going to know all the rules well, and they're going to protect you. You're not paying for that. Right. As a buyer, you're not paying for the real estate agent. Yeah. But um, if you so want... you may as well use one. You may as well use one as I'm the buyer. Yeah. As the seller oh, yeah. or as a buyer who wants to get a discount and like have the seller also get a discount. True. One thing you can do is sort of like a, you know, backyard handshake deal, which we've done in the past mm-hmm. where you just meet the buyer directly or the, you know, you know, the buyer and the seller meet directly and you don't work with a real estate agent. And instead you just go directly to title company and the title company can write up the papers. And if you want, you can spend, so generally the, the cost for the real estate agent is around 6% right? Mm-hmm. Of the sale yeah. price of the house. So, mm-hmm. um, if you're selling a $300,000 house, what is that? Um, uh, oh yeah. People probably on the line already like, oh yeah, 18, mm-hmm. but 18,000, right? $18,000 is quite a bit. So, um, instead of paying $18,000 when you are selling a $300,000 house, what you could, what you could do is if you do this handshake backyard deal is you can save the 18 grand and instead, uh, spend a thousand dollars for a real estate lawyer to look over the paperwork that you've done, the paperwork that you've drawn up. A lot of times, you're going to have, uh, you know, uh, agreements or sort of like what is it? What is it called when you have like things that you want the person to fix? Um, I wanted to say amendment. No, it's like, oh man, how's that term escaping us? You okay? So when you when you're buying a house, you always have a, a home inspection done, and at the home at the end of the home inspection, the inspector is going to tell you uh, there's a broken roof tile, and the water heater hasn't been changed for 15 years, and uh, you know you're probably going to have to um, get the mold taken care of in this bathroom and whatever. And so what you can do is you can put in um, certain requirements that. Um, that the seller is going to fix certain things, or you can put in a requirement that the seller is going to just give you money instead. So they'll, they'll give you like $500 or you're going to have them fix certain things. It's like a fix it list or something. I forget what the name of it is. Oh my gosh. But, um, yeah, so that is a little bit of our experience and some information that we would like to share. If you are considering buying a house, you any Disney trivia for us today? I seem to remember <laughs> last time you said I have Disney trivia for you, but I I'm know, gonna tell you next time. I know. I had such a good one. I have not told me I forget anything. What it was. Oh man. Phew. Good job, Christopher. That was a lot. <laughs> oh. Sounds like, like you still got a cold too. I know I do have a cold. But you rocked it. I I really like real estate. I know you do. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys it's, can it's always weird. ask us any questions. Yeah, we're totally down to geek out. I just made a crazy amortization schedule. Oh, babe. Yeah. I think you were trying to talk about the NORR. Oh, the right. Required repairs. That's such a weird name for it. It's like mm-hmm. it's basically like a fix list. It is. NORR is an mm-hmm. odd name for it. NORR, but that's the name. Totally is. The notice of required, required repairs. repairs. That's like the fix it list. Okay. Yeah. So I promised a Disney trivia question. You did. During maybe the first episode, second Second or third episode. Uh-huh. You'll have to go back and uh, listen and figure mm-hmm. out which one. Uh, so Nicole ha- had some good Disney trivia for me, and I thought it would be uh, official or like you know, especially appropriate to ask a Disney trivia question related to real estate. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So uh, hit me. Okay. 
in Disney Pixar's Frozen, yeah, uh, the castle, the ice castle that uh-huh. Elsa makes, yes, changes colors based on her mood. The question is, what mood does she have when the color of the castle is red? What? <laughs> Come on. This, this is, is just my guess. Okay. Um, I don't recall seeing it red. Oh. Is it red in the movie? It's red in the movie. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. Um, fear. Whoa. <laughs> Very good. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Oh. What other colors does it change? I didn't even know it turned colors, to tell you the truth. I thought it was okay. just like a blue. Yeah, so blue is when she's happy. Oh. Red is when she's afraid. Okay. And yellow is uh, when she's angry. I know. Isn't that weird? Because yellow yeah. is like a friendship color. Yeah. It's all bright and happy. I know. But blue apparently is. That's her happy place. Good job. When she's happy. That was a good one. Wasn't that tricky? That was very tricky. Who knew that? They even changed colors. Yeah. Now I'm going to be singing that. I know. I told the kids to joke the other day. You know how you listen to a song and you think it's one set of words, but it's actually something completely different. Mm-hmm. And there's a song I can't remember. Grayson thinks that they say Grayson. I was like, oh, Grayson, did you know? And let it go. It sounds to me like she's saying, Nicole never bothered me anyway. <laughs> she actually says, the cold never bothered me. But every time I hear it, I'm like, what? Who's calling me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just Elsa. But the good thing is you don't bother her. Because she might send an ice monster after you. Yeah. Let it go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, friends. Thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for the five-star reviews. We really appreciate them. So awesome. We hope that we can get a few more if you haven't had a chance to click those stars yet. Yeah. If you know someone who is about to buy a home or is thinking about buying a home, hey, Maybe you could point them to this episode. Maybe they'll become a subscriber. I don't know. We hope so. We hope so. Yeah. Our last episode was about Disneyland. Our next episode, probably another real estate series. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have topics that you would like to hear about or you just want to hear our thoughts on something, Mm -hmm. let us know. We did have a request for talking about exercise. I know. Maybe we'll add that. (laughs) Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. But we've gotten some other great suggestions as well. So. We have. Yeah. We, we appreciate them. We appreciate them. We appreciate you. We really um, like doing this. I think it's a it's kind a lot of, of fun. a fun thing for us to do together. So uh, love yourself. Spread love around. Peace. Mm-hmm.